Satan always mixes truth with error for the most effective lying, which is another reason why I believe he's, he's, he is saying something that's actually true here. He's a liar, he's the father of lies, but he's most effective when he mixes those lies with truth. The truth here seems to be that he could have given Jesus these things, but that in taking them, Jesus would be abdicating his rightful rule over the nations and essentially becoming the servant of Satan, entering into his service, even though he's being offered, Satan goes, I'll give Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And if you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Please be seated. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The most fundamental question that has to be answered in every person's life is this, who will you worship? The answer to this question is grounded in another question, which is, who is worthy to be worshipped? If there is no God, or if the gods that do exist are nothing more than extensions of human weakness and lustfulness, then we are better off worshipping whoever or whatever can bring us the most power and pleasure. If, however, the God of the Bible exists and is who the Bible claims him to be, then there can be no more satisfying, fulfilling, worthwhile thing to do than to fall on our knees and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so what we'll see as we study this final temptation this morning is that God alone is worthy of all of our worship, and we must continually cultivate our understanding of and practice of his worthiness so that we can defeat the temptation to bow down to the lesser gods that this world has to offer. Again, God alone is worthy of all of our worship, 
And we must continually cultivate our understanding of and our practice of His worthiness so that we can defeat the temptation to bow down to the lesser gods that this world has to offer. Now, we are on the third temptation of the temptations of the king, which we began in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And the first temptation essentially was this. Satan comes to Jesus after 40 days of fasting. He becomes hungry. He says, turn these stones into bread. So he says, use your deity to provide for yourself apart from the will of God. Step out from underneath God's will. Choose to exercise your deity to provide something that you truly need. Temptation number two was use your humanity as Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, says, throw yourself down. Use your humanity to force God to provide for you apart from his will. Again, throw yourself down, force God into the position where he will actually demonstrate his faithfulness. Oh yes, this will show how great he is, but will also again force him into action, you exerting your will again so that you might receive what you desire. And this third temptation, as we will see, essentially is kind of a culmination of all of them, abandon submission to God altogether and submit to Satan and his will. John MacArthur says he, Satan first suggested that Jesus ought to do for himself what he ought to do for himself. Next, he suggested what the Father ought to do for Jesus. And now Satan suggests what he can do for Jesus in exchange what he desires for Jesus to do for him. So let's dive into this third temptation, the temptation to fall down and worship me as Satan really commands Jesus to do this. And first, we'll look again at the circumstances of this temptation. Remember, each temptation had a circumstance, and that's not a minor thing. Satan uses the circumstances of our lives. He essentially has been given freedom by the Lord to create them. He creates certain circumstances. He uses the world system. He uses events. He puts us in certain circumstances. Those circumstances which he believes will be most conducive to whatever temptation he would desire to bring. Now, we understand that God sovereignly ordains all of this so that the circumstances as God directs it are for our growth and for our glory of God. But Satan has an entirely different purpose in mind with each circumstance that comes into our life. And so again, here we see that Satan places Jesus, brings Jesus to a particular place so that he might bring about his temptation. In this case, the place is a high mountain. Drop your eyes down to verse 8. Again, and again, just simply is in the next in progression. And as we mentioned last week, or really two weeks ago, we would hold that Matthew really gives us a chronological order of these temptations, where Luke, in in, in giving us them, simply provides them in general. Here, Matthew is moving us in chronological order. Uh, succession, and we have the third temptation again. So the next temptation, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. We have the same name for Satan that's been used several times already, the devil, that is our adversary, and he takes him to a high mountain. Now, as we will see, what happens on that high mountain is certainly supernatural, and the taking of Jesus to the high mountain certainly is supernatural, but we would see that the text indicates to us that there's an actual change of physical location. He started in the wilderness where there were stones, and Satan said, turn these stones into bread. Then Satan took Jesus supernaturally, and yet we believe physically, to the temple, on the top of the temple. That circumstance, that place, and says, throw yourself down. Now he takes him to a high mountain. Which mountain is it? Who knows? I don't think it's probably Mount Everest. Uh, A little hard to survive up there. But nonetheless, it's some high mountain, probably right around that area. Right? takes him to the high mountain so that he might set the stage for the temptation that he will bring. Again, we see in our own lives, and we see all throughout the scriptures, that the, the physical setting in which we are leads us to certain weaknesses, 
but also to certain opportunities to thank God and to, and to take hold of the power of God for growth. Here, Satan desires this circumstance to help him or to aid him in the temptation that he will provide for Jesus. So he takes him to this high mountain. The idea is he's above other things. He'll be able to look. They could look out across perhaps Israel there, but he's going to show him something entirely different than, sim- than simply the kingdom of Israel, because that's next the view. There's the place, the high mountain, a physical place, a physical uh, transportation, supernatural transportation of Jesus and Satan to this place, and now the view. So on top of this high mountain, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, certainly, again, there's no mountain high enough so that you could see all of the kingdoms of the earth in any kind of detail, certainly. And so we would see that as he's taken him to that physical location, he then, in whatever way, uh, in a vision of some sort it would seem best to understand, he gives Jesus a view of each of the kingdoms of the world and shows him not only, again, the the physical glory, but also the power and influence that those kingdoms exert, giving him essentially a a progression of the mightiest of kingdoms, and so showing him the kingdom of Egypt, perhaps, the kingdom of Rome as as it is progressing across the earth, and all the various kingdoms and the great glory that they have. Reminds me a bit of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, where he's walking on the top of his roof and he's looking out over Babylon and he says, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? It would seem that Satan is presenting these kingdoms essentially as his work, the things that Satan has done. Look at these kingdoms of the earth. This is, these are mine. That's what he will say. These are mine. Look what I have done. Look at this great glory that I have achieved and I'll give it all to you. I will provide you with this great glory, these things that I have done. Always dangerous to be up high overlooking your kingdoms, as it were. Never a good place to be. Don't go to the rooftops. Don't go to the mountains to reflect on that kind of thing. Wasn't good for Nebuchadnezzar. Wasn't good for David and certainly isn't. Satan has no good in mind for this supernatural display. So that is the circumstance. The place on the high mountain and the view, he shows him all of the kingdoms in their glory. The focus here is on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and particularly the boastful pride of life. Men in his great glory. There really is ultimately in our world no greater glory than that of the political might of a great nation and the king that rules it and the influence that he has, and the power that he has, and the glory that he's able to gain for himself. It really is what our world views as the pinnacle of power, having a kingdom that is really extended as far as it can possibly be with the greatest of power, the greatest of glory. So really, Satan is ending his temptations here with the grandest display possible. Here is the pinnacle of human achievement, the great political powers of the world, and essentially Satan saying, I did all this. I created these kingdoms. I brought these kingdoms up. They're mine. And so, therefore, here we have the nature of the temptation. He gives Jesus a promise, or he makes a promise, really a bargain, as it were. So the nature of the temptation is a promise or bargain. He says, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you. The mention of the glory of these kingdoms indicates that the devil is not simply offering a sphere of service. Look, serve me, essentially, Right in in the in these kingdoms, serve under me. He's saying, look, if you'll worship me, I will give you the rule of all of these. I will give you a universal dominion over all the peoples, and and essentially, Satan seems to be trying to match that with what God has, the God the Father has promised Jesus all along, that He ultimately would rule and reign, 
And that as he enters into, uh, as, as he walks upon the earth, as he goes through the, and goes to the cross and, and dies and is buried and rises again and will have dominion over the nations or essentially demonstrates his worthiness to have it, that Satan is simply saying, look, these are mine actually, and I will give you that universal dominion. I'm the one that can do this. I will provide it for you without a cross at all. John MacArthur says, as God's own proclaimed King of Kings, Jesus had divine right to all the kingdoms, and it was to that right that Satan appealed in this last temptation. Why should you have to wait for what is already rightfully yours, he suggests to Jesus. You deserve to have it now. Why do you submit as a servant when you could reign as a king? I'm only offering you what the Father has already promised. Perhaps he even reminded Jesus that God had said to his son, Ask of me, and I will surely give you all the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So it seems that Satan, as always, is mixing truth with error. Yes, Jesus is worthy of all those kingdoms. Yes, he is the one who does and will ultimately reign over all of them. Satan's simply saying, Look, I can provide that now. I've been given the dominion at this time, and so I will offer it to you now. Now, I think the question that springs to our mind is, does Satan really have that kind of authority? Is he offering something to Jesus that he can actually give him? And rather surprisingly, perhaps to some of you, I would say, yes, he is offering Jesus something that he can actually give, at least as we will see underneath, as always, the sovereign hand of God. We will see in scripture, we'll look at several of them, that Satan has been given full authority by God over the powers of the earth. Again, full authority underneath the sovereign plan and direction of God. And thus I would hold, I would say that Satan actually has the authority to give these things to Jesus. It's a real offer of real power. R.T. France says several times in the New Testament, Satan is described in such language as the ruler of this world. In fact, Jesus himself describes Satan as that. He has his own kingship and he's understood to have a real power in the present age, though always under the perspective of the ultimate victory of God. And this is where sovereignty and circumstance clash Yes, Satan has been given rule and power. Yes, we understand that it is only under the rule of God that he is enabled to have this, but it's real power and he wields it with real evil and he is continually doing that in our day and age. Now, just again, so we make sure we we understand where we are, Daniel 4.32 makes it clear that it is God who rules over all. This is not changed in Satan being able to or offering this to Jesus. Daniel 4.32, and that is after Nebuchadnezzar was walking on his roof, says the great, you know, look at the greatness of my kingdoms, is instantly humbled by God, spends seven years as an animal crawling about in the fields, growing claws and hair and, and, and being fed by his own servants. After this, when he repents, he learns this. Daniel 4.32 says, You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be among the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. Let's remember that. Always, God is the one fully in control of how rule is given. And yet, Satan has been granted a temporary but real authority over the sphere of this world. In Luke 4, 5 through 7, which is the parallel passage to this, right? Luke gives us a few more details as to what Satan says, and I think, again, re- reveals the, the, essentially what God has given him in this world for now. It says, he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. John twelve thirty one. Jesus speaking of Satan. He says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's Jesus' term for him. 
John 14:30 I will speak no I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world has is coming and he has nothing in me 1 John 5:19 Fascinatingly after Jesus has died and buried risen again and ascended to be with the Father this is still the, the, the title, the role of Satan. He says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a temporary rule granted by God himself and yet a very real rulership. Now, Satan always mixes truth with error for the most effective lying, which is another reason why I believe he's, he's, he is saying something that's actually true here. He's a liar. He's the father of lies, but he's most effective when he mixes those lies with truth. The truth here seems to be that he could have given Jesus these things, but that in taking them, Jesus would be abdicating his rightful rule over the nations and essentially becoming the servant of Satan, entering into his service, even though he's being offered, Satan says, I'll give you the rulership of these things. It would not truly, ultimately then, have been Jesus who was ruling. It would have been Satan. Now, what is his command? So that's his promise. If you, uh, I will give you all of these things, and I believe a real promise offered again in the in the providential hand of God, that God had granted Satan for a period of time the rule over these kingdoms. Now, what is his command? And essentially, this comes in the form of an if, but really, if you, I will give you all of these if you do this certain thing. In each of the other temptations, he's commanded Jesus to do a particular thing, and this falls along the same lines. Look, fall down and worship me. I'll give you these kingdoms fall down. If I will give you all of this, if you fall down and worship me, essentially the, the way the grammar works, if in falling down or, or falling down before me, you worship me. That which the father promised to the son because of his righteous obedience, that is the rulership of the world, the, the, all the kingdoms of the world that the father offered in his way, that which the father promised to the son because of his righteous obedience, Satan offers to the son in exchange for his unrighteous disobedience. And again, as we consider, would Satan really have given Jesus this power? And I think the answer is yes and no. Jesus could have gained power, but still under the controlling yoke, or would then have been under the controlling yoke of the enemy who, have used it, who would have used it to destroy him as is always his want. Again, let me remind you, I'm not suggesting that Jesus could actually have sinned. Right? He is impeccable. He is one who per- protected by his deity, his humanity being protected by that in an unassailable way, Right? Would not, did not clearly sin. And yet, as we have said for each of these, they are real temptations. Because for humans, even those who do not have a sinful nature, right, the, the drive towards or the offer of power, the offer of influence, those are always real temptations. And for Jesus, this was a real and true temptation. And yet, again, as Satan offers the same temptation to us, he offers the same temptation to sinful men. What does he always do when this temptation is given into? He always destroys with this. This is never an offer to somehow benefit you or to give you something worthwhile or to actually put you in a position of power. Certainly not anything that compromises his own. Always it is Satan's desire to destroy with the power or the gifts that he gives. And certainly that would have been, and it was, his intent here. The moment that Jesus did this, then again, the plan of God would have been eternally thwarted. Satan's attempt all along the way. Leon Morris says, we should not dismiss this whole episode as something that simply happened to Jesus, but has no relevance to anyone else. Many who profess to follow the Christ have purchased their own empires at the cost of the acceptance of evil. And certainly this is true. Now, let's look at the implications. Let's try to draw out 
what is this temptation then all about? We have clearly the on its surface, on its face, look, here you get power if you will bow down to my power. All you have to do is give up, it seems, as it were, a bit. That is, you all you got to do is bow down to me here and temporally, and I will give you this entire earthly dominion. You will receive all of this power, that which you actually deserve. That which God has promised that he would give to you. And yet it seems that God would offer this at too great a price. So what are the implications? First, God has required you. This seems to be what Satan is implying. God has required you to give up your power. So now take it back on your own. It doesn't look like he's going to give it back to you. Right? He's required you to give it. Remember, that was part of the incarnation. That's what the book of Philippians really reveals to us, that he laid aside his glory. He didn't lay aside his deity, but essentially in coming to earth and adding humanity, he humbled himself underneath his father to, to relinquish, we, we sometimes call it the individual or the independent use of his deity. To say, well, come under you. I will exercise my power only as you, Father, direct. And that's been part of the two temptations already coming. And so Satan seems to be saying, look, you've had to give up power. Now it's time to get a little bit of it back, and I'll provide that for you. You are powerless right now, or you have to come underneath the Father's instruction and command. Why not come underneath mine when I can give you all of this power in a moment? I will give you back all the power any man could possibly want. And for Jesus, again, as a man... The God-man, fully God and fully man, there's a real temptation that's involved here. And again, how much more for us? For example, how about those who feel like they are dominated, who feel like their power has been taken away? How about young people, teens, who are sitting here? I have no power. I have to come underneath my parents. I constantly am powerless. I have to do what they say. And as you grow older, that grows more and more of a burden for you. Where's my power? Why can't I get some? And it doesn't seem like you're being offered all the kingdoms of the world. You would just like your room to be yours, maybe. A little sphere of influence where you get to drive your own car. You get to go do, uh, give me a little piece of my own power. We always are driving for this kind of thing. And it drives us crazy when we don't get it. And so Satan for you doesn't come and say, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He says, look, I'll just give you your own friends. Why don't you rebel against your parents? I'll I'll give you your own little sphere of influence here. All you got to do is rebel against them. You're not getting the power that you want. Do you see what I mean here? Satan comes to Jesus. Jesus is, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the God man. He says, look, I'll give you everything. That's the only thing Jesus was worthy of. So that's why Satan brings it. Well, to you, he doesn't say, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give you your own little kingdom, your own little power. So Teensy offers this to you. We're just rebel against your parents. It's no big deal. Just bow down and worship me. Rebel. And I will give you power. Oh, but it comes at a great price. It comes at a great price, that rebellion, does it not? Those of you who have tried that or you gave in, as it were, perhaps, to that lie of Satan when you were younger and you exercised your own power and rebellion against your parents, that brought you great joy, did it not? Not in the long run, did it? The danger and difficulty and patterns that that built into your life. Well, it's not only teens here wrestling with their own power. How about you and your workplace, man? Young man, older man, it doesn't matter. I wish I just had a little power. I, I don't seem to get any respect here. I don't seem to get any credit. So I'll just create some of my own in whatever way it might be, whether I'll backbite or whether I'll complain. I need to get some of my own. And this goes on and on. How about the wife who's wrestling underneath so for submission to her husband? She says, I don't have the power that I need. I don't have the control. Well, I'll take it. And of course, this is what Satan offers you. I'll give you some power. You deserve power. Take it. And then you will be blessed. Then you will have what you want. But it's always a false offer always. And the power that you would take out from underneath the principles of the word of God will only destroy you, or at least in pieces. 
at least parts of you. It destroys relationship. It destroys your ability to respond to a holy God. So in offering Jesus everything, it echoes to the things that Satan offers us, which is little pieces of things. He says, look, you have this power, you have this power, you have this power. Simply bow down and worship me. And you might think, well, that's a little strong, Chris. Bow down and worship Satan. I've never heard him say that. Well, no, you haven't. But anytime you disobey a command of Scripture, you are in essence in that thing saying, I will worship what Satan has said. Now, I'm not saying that true believers give of their lives to Satan, that they give their soul to him every time they disobey. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the picture of and really the essence of the heart attitude of what you are doing, even if you are a believer, when you say, God, I will not listen to the power of your word. I will not come underneath your power. I will take my own. That echoes this very call. I will worship Satan. I will do what he says to do. Because worship is service. You serve the one you worship, as we will see. So let us be careful before we quickly step by this one and going, well, I'm not wanting all the kingdoms of the world. How about the little kingdom that you would desire? It could be very small, seemingly to you, and yet any disobedience to God in this area is an acquiescence to Satan himself, to his demonic rule. You don't have much power. God has asked you to give it up, so why don't you get some back? Why don't you get it back now, Satan says to Jesus. And I would say that to all of you in some way, he's saying that. Get it back. Exercise your own authority. God has removed power from you. You deserve more. And so take it now. It's one implication. The second implication, God is demanding you to go through suffering to attain glory and power. So attain glory on your own without the suffering. Remember that in these temptations at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, it's very important that these happen as he starts on his ministry. He has been, as it were, inaugurated in baptism. He's identified with sinful humanity by going through the baptism, but always in view here is what? The end, the entire ministry that will culminate in the cross. Jesus is aware of this. He knows what he's entered into all along the way. He understands this. And these temptations all seem to be designed not only with the hunger of the fasting in the desert that begins it, but with the greater difficulty and greater suffering that will happen at the end. All throughout his life, Jesus, as he enters this ministry, this three years of ministry will be suffering, will be wrestling with the difficulties of human flesh, of persecution against himself. All of that culminating in the cross where not only does he suffer from human persecution, but ultimately takes the weight of sin, the wrath of God against himself. All of this is in view. So Satan is saying, why go there? Why receive the kingdoms after that? You don't need to go to the cross to receive the crown. I'll give you the crown now. And you can have it without suffering. And lest we think that that was no big deal to Jesus, easy temptation, we'll step by this, no problem. I don't need those kingdoms. I'm going to serve my father. Now again, and Jesus, as we will see, firmly, soundly, completely defeats this temptation. But lest we think it is no temptation at all, remember just for a moment the garden. When Jesus is in the garden and he is preparing for the time when he will receive the very wrath of God for all of the sins ever committed by every believer for all of time, when he's about to take that, what does he say? Piece of cake. No problem. Bring it on. He doesn't say any of those things. He falls on his knees. He sweats blood. And he says, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Real temptation here. You don't have to go to the cross. You can get the glory. You can get the crown. I'll give it to you, says Satan. 
And, and again, what is implied? God is wrong to send you there. How could he send you, the beloved son of God, to die for the sins of this world, of, of these people? They don't deserve it. They deserve eternal hell. This is always Satan, the accuser, the adversary. Don't go to the cross. God has asked of you a hard road, deprivation, sacrifice, setting aside your very glory, Philippians 2 tells us. He's equal with God. He sets aside that glory, hardship, suffering. God has asked all of this before you can gain the glory of rule, as it were. Why not skip the pain and suffering and gain the glory? Become the ruler of the earth that you deserve to become just without the wrath-bearing death, without being soiled by the sins of humanity. No cross, no crown, says God. No cross, my crown, says Satan. And this is always what he says. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to suffer that. God's a harsh taskmaster. He has done these things to you. God will, Satan will use certainly the, the truth of God's sovereignty as a, as, a, as a battering ram upon your soul to say, yeah, God is sovereign and look what he's done. You don't deserve that. You don't have to go through that. You don't need to put up with that. I'll give you the glory that you want. I'll provide you with the pleasure that you desire. Just bow down and worship me. And that simply is refuse to obey God. Obeying God is to worship him, to honor him. To disobey God is to worship and honor one person only, Satan. Let's please keep that in mind. It's not as well, I'm choosing to disobey God and it's no big deal. No, you're offering your allegiance to Satan at that point. Again, hear me, true believers aren't in 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 a fundamental way abandoning God every time they disobey, but they are echoing this very thing. God, you are great. You are worthy. You died for me. I'm trusting in you. And yet I won't trust your word. I'm going to obey my own desires. I'm going to step outside the word that you have given. I'm going to come out from underneath your rule. Well, there's only one other rule. There aren't multiple ones. They're not shades of rule. There's either the rule of God or the rule of Satan, as we will see. That's it. And when you step out from underneath his rule, you are essentially saying, Satan, I will honor you. Every act of disobedience is an honor of the enemy of your soul. And this we would hate to do, would we not? Jesus didn't do it one single time ever. Not in these temptations. And he sets the tone for us and he sets the tone for his own life. Never did he honor the enemy of our soul by one act of disobedience of his father. You see, Satan is the great counterfeiter. He offers what seems to be the same as what God offers. I'll give you power. I'll give you kingdoms. I'll give you influence. I'll give you prosperity. Everything that would come along with that. He seems to offer the same as what God offers. And his price is much cheaper. God wants you to prosper, doesn't he? Satan says, well, I'll give you prosperity a lot sooner for a lot less. You don't actually have to go through that. Now, is Satan, is, is that true? Does Satan actually give you or is it act, does it actually cost less? The answer is no. The cost is much higher. In fact, for unbelievers, of course, the cost is eternal punishment, suffering the very wrath of a holy God. But he doesn't tell you that. And even for, the, even for believers, the cost is high when we choose to step out from underneath the worship and honor and service of our God. The cost is high. The cost is high in his glory being dragged through the mud and God not receiving the honor that he deserves. Believe me, that's a high cost. Because God is great and mighty. He is powerful. He is loving. He is gracious. He is worthy of all honor. And anything that steals from it is a high price indeed. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? It goes beyond that to the discipline that our very own father brings into our own lives that, that, that is 
ultimately for our good, and yet it's very painful and very difficult. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.